What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins. That is David Lake joining me as always. David, we are on the eve of National Signing Day 2020, and I will say in all my years of recruiting coverage, this is the least stressed I've ever been. It is uh, yeah, different. <laughs> it's different vibe with the, uh, you know, Recruiting pool, not so big. Uh, Miami, not really super involved with a ton of guys. But this is probably the new reality of the early signing period. Unless your school goes through a coaching change and there has to be some scrambling um, being done during the traditional February signing day. So yeah, still still a little bit of drama for Miami, which we'll get into here later. Um, but yeah, definitely going to be... More of a quiet, uh, traditional February National Signing Day than anyone's kind of used to. So, yeah, you mentioned the recruiting the signing day. We're going to get into that in the second half um, of the podcast. What we really want to talk about is some staff changes in Coral Gables. That's where we're going to kind of start. The big news was last week. I mean, we put out a podcast and then like... Three or four hours later, uh, Miami announces that Ed Reed is coming back home to be the program's chief of staff. Uh, David, I'll let you give your take here in a second. But for me, this is a monster hire, I think, for Miami and Manny Diaz. Them bringing Ed Reed back home. Um, I would say the newspaper media, uh, the other local outlets were all kind of clamoring for Alonzo Highsmith to join uh, my Manny staff as the as the chief of staff and Manny in in my eyes kind of one upped him and got Ed Reed to stop vacationing and and, and traveling the world and, and come back home to be a part of the program so what do you think about this because like I said I think it's it's monster yeah. it it's a grand slam hire um, you know my Manny basically convinced you know arguably the greatest Miami Hurricane ever to come back and be a part of his program and help get this thing turned around I think the thing the thing I take from this move is Manny is looking to take the steps to change the culture at Miami Um, I think he assessed how year one went and he knew that the culture needed to be changed during that year, that first year. Um, but it didn't happen. And so getting a guy like Ed Reed, who understands what the culture needs to be at Miami in order to compete for championships, to me, makes a huge statement. You know, everyone everyone wants to be a beast, but not everyone wants to do the, the things that beasts do. Um Ed Reed is a certified beast, and he knows what it's going to take for these players to get to that level, you know, which in turn will get Miami to the level of national relevance. So I think the way to look at this move is it's Manny addressing the culture issues that do exist at Miami. And this isn't just a recent thing. It's been a decade plus of Miami's culture not quite being where it needs to be in terms of overall work ethic and 
and the players being totally committed to football. Um, you know, so I think in terms of Manny's ability to address that, like you take a step back and look at the things Manny has addressed, changing the offense. I think he deserves an A plus doing that with Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator hire, getting Derek King into the program as a graduate transfer quarterback, hiring new offensive line coach, Garen Justice. Uh, so to me, that gets an A, A+. Plus. I think the other area he knew he needed to address was continuing to change the culture. Bringing Ed Reed is an A++ plus plus in terms of trying to get that done. Is it going to be a quick fix, changing culture? No, that takes a long time. Um, takes years. But I think we're going to start to see you know, the fruits of that labor happening this year. Um, and yeah, I, again, grand slam hire. Well, let's kind of explain what a chief of staff role is now, because I think there's a lot of confusion out there. Um, it seems yeah. like some people on our message board or just on social media think Ed Reed is going into recruits homes and lighting up a cigar and giving a pitch. And that's absolutely not the case. Um, it could right. be at some point down the line, you know, he could become a full-time 10th assistant, but what he is hired to be to, to be is kind of a senior advisor for Manny Diaz. And I think we touched on this in a previous podcast, what that chief of staff role is some is normally a veteran coach who has done a bunch of different things, has experience, uh, in all aspects of a program. So when Manny initially created the position and hired Todd Stroud, Todd Stroud was viewed as the perfect fit. Uh, he, he was a coordinator, a former head coach, a strength coach. He had been a, a little bit of everything. Uh, obviously, Ed Reed doesn't have that coaching experience. You know, he has been a coach like at Paradise Camp, um, just spent the past uh, a couple weeks ago. He he was the head coach at the Under Armour All-America game for, for one of those teams. So he, he does have some coaching experience, but I think they're going to have to tailor and, and change this role a little bit to kind of fit what he does more. But he will be involved with the program. I mean, from my understanding, he can watch film with guys. Um, right. He can go over plays with guys. I mean, he can't get out there and legitimately coach them during your allotted practice sessions, but he can be involved um, he can meet recruits when they come on campus. He can shake hands with recruits when they come on campus. He just can't off-campus recruit. Uh, and I think getting Ed Reed in the building is huge. I mean, out of all the Paradise Camp visitors over, what, the past three years, and I'm talking about alumni that came back, the one that seemed to make the biggest splash was Ed Reed in terms of relating to local kids that are in high school. Kids wanted to get pictures with him. Uh, and, you know, they want to talk to the other notable alumni as well but ed reed definitely hits a lot different than some of those other guys and i was out at a seven on seven tournament on thursday night a, a couple hours after news had kind of broke about this and i was asking kids just how big of a deal that was and they seemed to all be excited so uh, right. i think this is for what is it's you know it's kind of a not a made-up position or anything like that but you can kind of work it to what you want and I, I think just finding a way to get Ed Reed back was, was needed and we'll see we'll see how this goes right and I think too I mean Miami Hurricanes fans know this but if you know Ed Reed and what he is all about this position isn't 
going to be some like collect a paycheck type situation for Ed Reed. Like he will come to work and he's going to perform whatever duties Manny wants of him. He's going to perform them at the highest level he possibly can. So I know like, you know, obviously other fan bases or or maybe college football media might have a cynical look at this just just thinking this is a figurehead position where Ed Reed is not going to make much of an impact. I would disagree. I think he's going to whatever role Manny wants him to fill with this chief of staff position, Ed Reed's going to do it. Um, And yeah, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but yes, Ed Reed cannot go visit recruits in this role. He can't do in-home visits. But I would assume for these recruiting events that are on campus, he's going to have a presence. Do you agree? No, I, I think absolutely. Now, now instead of having to invite him back to speak at a junior day, now he's expected to be at that junior day. So he'll be a lot more accessible, I think would be the, uh, the word. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know the exact specifics if he can call a recruit. I was kind of reading through the uh, NCAA guidelines, but I think there is, a, there is a, an avenue or a route where one of Miami's assistant coaches could tell um, let's say some safety prospect, hey, you know, give Ed Reed a call and, and they could initiate contact that way. So he'll be involved. It's just let's pump the brakes on him, like going out on right. on the trail and right, you know, right, riding, right. riding shotgun with Manny Diaz, making the, making the rounds in uh, the city or anything like that. And I think, too, just impact on the team. So Ed Reed, you know, he's known for being one of the most studious uh football players that come through the program and that extended into his pro career in the NFL. And many feel like that, you know, besides his physical traits, which, which were impressive and immense, you know, his instincts are what stood out about his play on the field. And those instincts come from film study. So I think if Ed Reed can, can rub off on, you know, players all over the roster in that way. Hey, put in a little more extra time into being the best you can possibly be in terms of studying your opponent and their tendencies. That's only going to be a good thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think too, you know, this this might not be exciting to the fan base in terms of on the field translation, but I would assume too, Ed Reed will serve in some role in a fundraising capacity if Blake James needs him to speak to a bunch of high-level boosters, you know, once or twice a year. And and I think he will definitely make an impact that way if he's asked to to do that. So, you know, again, like you said, the chief of staff uh, title is vague. But honestly, I think this is a way in which he can make a bigger impact than being like a safeties coach where he is only focused on coaching safeties and and that position group and all that kind of stuff. I think in this chief of staff role, he can uh, make an impact in in smaller ways maybe, but in different phases of the program, if that makes sense. Hey, let's not forget uh, two years ago, the week of right. the Notre Dame game, Ed Reed came back home and, and helped the team out do something. I mean, he wasn't he an on-field. Yeah, I think he, he watched, watched film. film. And 
just his presence that week. I'm not saying that's why Miami crushed Notre Dame that week, but uh, you know, did his presence? Uh, well, let's just be honest. That was like the last, the highest this program has been in in recent memory. That was right. when he was there. So maybe he can kind of le- steer the ship back in some way. There was some kind of impact of him being around the program that week. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, uh, the players went out and, and handled their business on the field, and they deserve 99% of the credit for that. But I do think Ed Reed being around helped a little bit. Um, Ed Reed, not the only new addition to uh, Miami's coaching staff. There were some reports that surfaced, I think, on Saturday that Rob Likens um, would be joining or is set to become uh, Miami's next wide receivers coach. I don't know who had it first. I, I think the Sun Sentinel was in there. Bruce Feldman uh, at one point reported it. If yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I was told the Herald. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't I follow it. I was busy that day, so I, I was out of the loop, to be honest. But Same. I, I was demoing my bathroom, and I'm like, uh, oh, okay. Uh, but <laughs> Rob Likens, he's probably going to become the next wide receiver as a coach. I mean, I think that's a given at this point. It hasn't been announced by the school. Um, for those unaware, he was the offensive coordinator slash wide receivers coach the past three seasons at Arizona State. Um, he produced back-to-back 1,000-yard receivers. Nikhil Henry, who was drafted in the first round of the NFL draft by the New England Patriots last year, um, he was one. Uh, I don't know the, the name of the Arizona State wide receiver expected to be drafted this year off the top of my head. Uh, but, David, what are your – what do you think about this hire? I mean, this is kind of out of left field. I don't think yeah. he's – worked with Manny or, or Rhett Lashley at any point, but he does have some air raid experience, and that seems to kind of be why um, Miami made a move on him. Yeah, I mean, look, do I know a ton about Rob Likens? I think it's perfectly okay for me to say no. I didn't know much about him before his name kind of surfaced uh, as being potentially the next wide receiver coach. But yeah, I mean, you touched on it. I think and I alluded to it, I think, in the last podcast or somewhere that um, this was going to be basically kind of a Rhett Lashley hire. He was going to be able to bring in a guy he wanted. Uh, do Rhett, does Rhett Lashley and Rob Likens have uh, t- huge ties? No, but they do both know Sonny Dykes, who Rob Likens coached under at California and who Rhett Lashley coached at SMU under last the last two years. So there is that connection. Uh, you touched on it. He knows how to coach in a spread. Um, the way I kind of look at this hire is I think they are looking at it because everyone's going to want to know, okay, how can this guy make an impact with recruiting, which I think is a fair question. Um, I think the line of thinking Manny Diaz would have is we believe this offense will recruit itself in terms of top receivers will want to play within this offense. So let's go hire a guy that we think can develop, uh, at the highest level 
the talent that we bring in, that this offense can bring in. And I think that philosophy does make sense. Uh, will that prove to be the case? We'll see. Um, but yes, I, I do think it is fair to say, like, hey, this offense probably will recruit receivers at a high level on its own just in terms of scheme. So why not try and bring in a guy that we believe can develop guys at a high level? Uh, another thing I think which is interesting to note with Likens is Miami will now have had, well, now on the offensive staff has three guys that have coordinator experience because uh, Garen Justice was a coordinator at UNLV, was also a head coach at the D2 level. Obviously, you have Rhett Lashley, and now you have Rob Likens. So it seems like they've gone in the complete opposite direction of what last year's offensive staff was in terms of um, maybe not a lot of guys with experience in that game planning department. And now they have three guys who have all had to develop their own game plans, who've all had to call their own plays. So I think that's um, something that's interesting that someone brought up on our message board. And the, and the more I thought about it, the more that makes sense. I mean, you want to get as many guys um, yeah. a, as you can, you know, I, I think in this case, maybe more chefs in the kitchen is, is kind of what you want instead of just um, rolling it out with someone like Dan Enos, who wasn't even calling plays this season before. Um, that other receiver right. I, was, I was mentioning, I wanted to bring him up, is Brandon Ayuk. I, I hope I'm saying that right. He was at Arizona State this past year, caught 65 passes for 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns. He kind of took over for Nikhil Henry. Um, I, I mentioned him because we, we talked about recruiting and going through basically a ton of old Arizona State recruiting stories and, and Cal recruiting stories, this like seems to be Lycan's probably biggest get. Um, so Brandon was a junior college kid. Uh, Rob Lycan's kind of first evaluated it, first saw him at a, at a junior college. I don't think he got the green light to offer him until uh, Herm Edwards took over and, and Rob Likens was retained at Arizona State, uh, and he ended up signing this kid, fending off a, a late push from Alabama. So I think he does have an eye for kind of evaluating talent, and that's positive. Um, but I do at the same time agree. I mean, if Miami's offense lights up the scoreboard, kids in, in South Florida are going to just want to play there regardless. Um, so I, I think... Getting getting the right coach is more important than maybe getting the right recruiter, especially at a position like wide receiver. Yeah, and you know, in a lot of ways, recruiting boils down to effort. How much are you going to grind at it? Um, and the the scenario you just described with the Arizona State guy, um, you know, fending off Alabama is no easy task. So if that's what happened, I would say that is uh, a good sign. And the other thing to note, which is Kind of the next next bullet point we have in the outline. Uh, Telly Lockett is also expected to join Miami's staff uh, in a analyst type role. For those unaware, Telly is what was he? What, what position did he coach this past year at Florida State? I believe it was running backs. Right, but he's a he's a South Florida native that will join the uh, off the field kind of recruiting staff role. And now Miami's really got a bunch of guys in there. You got Demarcus Van Dyke, uh, Edwin Pata, David Cooney. They just seem right. to be stacking some good, good football coaches that have inner city ties and, and ties throughout yeah. South Florida in that recruiting department. And I think that that definitely counts. I mean, th yes, they're not the guys that are going out on the road, but 
as soon as these kids get on campus, um, there's there's some good people there that I think can really help sell Miami. Well, not only that, but I do like the message it sends where Manny is basically saying, hey, we take care of our own. We take care of of Dade County guys. Um, you know, you mentioned those guys. There's, there's Benedict Hippolyte, Hippolyte, uh, you know. Totally forgot about him, yeah. A GA, right? Former Carroll City coach. I think also DVD, who Demarcus Van Dyke, uh, who you know played at Miami as well, but you know he's from Dade County. Stephen Field came up through Dade County. Uh, the, the tight ends coach came up through Dade County coaching ranks. So I do like that Manny Diaz is is you know staying loyal, if you want to put it that way, to. Dade County, local high school coaches that want to further their careers. Um, and look, Telly Lockett is, has been a, a position coach at Power 5 programs, so this isn't like that type of scenario. Um, but yeah, I, I think bringing him in is going to be a good impact in recruiting. I do like that it is kind of somewhat throwing shade at Florida State a little bit because there's been a little bit of a backlash with, uh, you know, the local inner city high school football scene in Dade County. They weren't happy that Mike Norvell did not retain Telly Lockett. And to be honest, I'm not so sure Florida State's Dade and Broward recruiting ties are all that strong right now. So oh, I think they're, I, and I'm, we'll probably catch flack at this. I think they're at a, maybe an all-time low, right? Right, which I mean, they've made that decision. I mean, they, Ron Dugans, who does a good job recruiting, and you know, recruited Dade plenty when he was at Miami. But does he have those deep recruiting ties? I'm not so sure about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Florida State, Mike Norvell constructed his staff the way he wanted to construct it, and you know, there is a hole there in my mind. Um, so yeah, I do like, I do really like this. This move by Manny, I think there's a ton of value getting a guy like Telly Lockett, who's coached at Oregon State and Florida State in an analyst role. Even if even if it's for one year, I think it goes yeah. a long ways. And for those unaware, um, I, I, know I should have prepped a little bit more for the show. Maybe Lockett was the tight ends coach this, this, uh, this past tight season ends. for Florida okay. State. But in 2019, I mean, remember he got he was the primary on Dante Lucas. Uh, who was from Miami High, ended up finishing his career at IMG Academy. Arguably probably one of the better players for Florida State this past season. Uh, a kid Miami wanted. He was also the primary on Jarvis Brownlee, the corner out of Carroll City. Remember, he was committed to Miami, ended up flipping late to Florida State. Uh, I think he was also the primary on Malcolm Ray, Brownlee's teammate at, at Carroll City, the defensive lineman. So this is a guy that can recruit. Um, and now he's probably got a chip on his shoulder too. Right steal some kids from Florida State. So I, I, I do agree. And if you're going to only have a, a one-year rental on an analyst, like this is probably the year to have it if it's someone right. with ties to uh, Miami-Dade County just because we think the class of 2021 is going to be unreal. Yes, it's loaded. And, you know, recruiting, relationships always matter in recruiting. But I feel like they're even a bigger deal in the inner city of Miami. Um so again, bringing a guy in uh, with Tally Lockett's ties to me, it's it's a it's another home run 
grand slam move by Manny Diaz this offseason. We'll, we'll see if it, uh, if it, if it pays off. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts on coaching changes? We touched on Likens. We touched on Lockett. We touched on Ed Reed. Uh, anything else? No, I think it, I think that covers it. I think let's take a little break and we can get into, you know, national signing day recruiting scoop on the other side. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back and we're going to get into recruiting. It is 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday at the time of this recording. And, you know, for, for you guys that really follow recruiting, you understand that things can change in five minutes in the world of recruiting. So that's why I am putting that timestamp on this <laughs> section, because the things we say might not be the case, honestly, five hours from now. But anyways, yeah. let's get into it. Um, really, one name to know, right, Andrew? Uh, well, I guess two names, but one really big name that we, we're going to be following on Wednesday, uh, tell us tell us what we need to know going into the big name on Wednesday, National Signing Day. Uh, it's Avante Williams, the top twenty four safety or top two four seven safety out of Deland, Florida. I mean, if you have followed Miami recruiting at any point in the past two or three years, really, you know who Avante Williams is. He's going to pick at 2.45 p.m. Eastern time between Miami and Florida. Um, Georgia was in there. He canceled that that trip to Georgia. So it's really a two-team battle. And I think he actually tweeted out, uh, maybe it was last night. Yeah, last night, uh, February 3rd, uh, a photo of him in a, a Gators uniform and a photo of him in a Miami uniform and said, which one is it going to be? I still Ooh. think... I still think it's it's probably Florida, uh, but like I wrote on our site miami dot twenty four seven sports dot com, you know I think this battle's a lot closer than people think it is. I know a lot of people want to just chalk him up to the Gators, and I completely get that. I mean his cousin Lorenzo Lingard's there, uh, but based on what I've heard over the past really twenty four hours, I think this one. Might go either way. Um, Avante is someone who is big on relationships, and Miami feels right now like they have the best relationship out of anyone with Avante Williams. So we'll see. I mean, I'm not ready to peg him to uh, Miami or anything like that, but I don't think everyone should just be writing this up as an L for Miami just yet. 
I know you hate doing this, but I'm going to do it anyways. So you're leaning Florida. Sounds like slightly at this point. Would you say it's like a 60-40 split Florida? Yeah, that's what, I would, that's what I would go with, 60-40. Okay. And, and I'm sure I'm sure there's people that are listening to this, you know, on 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 Wednesday or Thursday or whatever, and they're gonna be like, "Wow, Andrew was completely wrong." But I, I just think it's most people are think there's no way it's not Florida, and I, I don't agree with that just yet. Okay, how much of an impact do you think uh, the Ed Reed hire as chief of staff has had on this recruitment? A, a little bit. Uh, and why am I saying a little bit just because, you know, Ed Reed coach Avante Williams up for war, uh, an entire week at the Under Armour All America game. And I'm not talking just like you know, he was the head coach on the staff and they, he, you know, Avante Williams overheard his, him address the team a, a few times. Um, Ed Reed was the safeties coach for Team Savage at the Under Armour All-America game. I mean, I have multiple photos of those guys talking one-on-one, so they know who they are. I, I ran a, a quote, I think this past Friday, where Avante said he learned so much from Ed Reed and, and all that. So I think that is playing um, a, a small hand in this, but the thing that everyone I talk to, and I've always felt this way as well, is that Avante Williams trusts certain people and people he's known kind of the longest. And I, I think just him having known Manny Diaz and Ephraim Banda, the safeties coach, since he was an eighth grader or or was it a, a ninth grader, like that, that's probably carrying a little bit more weight right now than it is with Ed Reed. But don't get me wrong, I think that Ed Reed definitely has helped here uh, late. And I know we've touched on this in previous podcasts, but for those that maybe missed that one, um, Avante is a cousin of former Miami running back Lorenzo Lingard, who transferred to Florida uh, this offseason. Do you think Lingard transferring to Florida impacts what Avante does on signing day at all? I mean, you would have to think so, but when we talked about on this last podcast, like I don't think those two are t- as tied as, as people think. I mean, they're definitely friendly. They're definitely related. They definitely know each other and all that, but I don't think Avante was just going to follow Lorenzo Lingard wherever he was going to go. Maybe there was a case a few years ago, um, but now they're, they're two completely different people. I mean, Avante has, has two kids. Um, on his own. So I, I think he's not just following uh, Lorenzo to follow Lorenzo. I'm sure there's some conversations that have gone on and stuff like that, but this is going to be Avante's decision. So what would, let's say Miami um, pulls off kind of a surprise and, and lands Avante. What it, it would be an upset. You can chalk right. it up as that. What, what would it, what would it mean? Like, what type of player is Miami getting? Well, they're getting, the number, they're getting the number two safety in the country. Um, and someone that me, you, and I know other our other colleagues, Luke Stampini, have felt like for a few years now is, is probably a, a top five player in the state. I mean, I don't even know where he is yeah. right right now in the rankings. But he is 
he's pretty dang impressive, and he and he always has been. I think he's a four or five two kid. Um, he will hit the crap out of you. It's it's really easy to see why Manny Diaz and Ephraim Bonda want him in the back end of their defense because he can hit. The other thing though is I think he can cover. So he's every bit of a of a blue chip prospect at least in my eyes. I mean like a top 100 kid. I'm not saying he's a five star or anything like that. And, and really a commitment from him. I've run the the the, the class calculator. Miami enters Wednesday with the nation's number 17 ranked recruiting class. Uh, according to the the industry-generated composite, if they were to add Avante Williams, you know they could finish uh, on Thursday with like the number twelve or number thirteen class. So he's worth that many spots in, in the composite, um, and that would really be Miami's best, one of their best finishes in the past five years, which is saying a lot after a, a six and seven season. Yeah, no, I think. Look, I don't see as many uh, of the high school kids as you do, not even close. But I do see most of the top guys in the state. And for me, I mean, is Avante the best player in the state? No, but he might be like the favorite guy, my favorite guy that I've seen in the state. Just his style of play. He plays super fast, super physical. He's super versatile. And those are the guys you need now on defense to defend these spread offenses. Um, I think you could argue, like, Avante is a safety. But I think you could argue he could also be a four-star cornerback if he wanted to play corner. He, he's that good of a cover guy. There's really, in my opinion, there's not really a weakness in his game. Maybe you wish he was a little longer. Um, but in terms of... His willingness to be physical, his speed, his instincts. I think he's got it all. And it would be a tremendous get, you know, for Miami or Florida, whoever does end up getting him. It's going to be a good one. He, in my mind, he is a future NFL guy, assuming everything in the trajectory, you know, goes normal. <laughs> so, yeah, I, he's a big time guy. Let me ask you this. Who did you like better coming out of high school, him or Tyreek Stevenson? Um, well, they're different. Um, honestly, I probably go Tyreek slightly. Oh, really? But, okay. But not as a safety. Like, in my opinion, Tyreek is a striker type. Like, he is almost a linebacker type. But I think he's yeah. a big, big, big time guy. Um, Avante's right there, though. I am a huge Avante fan. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I I would honestly maybe give the the edge to Avante, but you bring up a good point. I I don't know. That was just something no, I was kind of thinking about. They're both extremely high level guys. I don't. This is all off the top of our head right now, but who was ranked higher? I would assume Tyreek is ranked higher, but I think Avante's right there. Like they're similar caliber players. Um, okay, move on to the next guy Miami Hurricanes fans need to know, or you have any something else on Avante? Nope. No, 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 let's go. Okay. So Willie Moyes, who, uh, you can, you can touch on his high school <laughs> situation. Cause I don't know how to describe that, but he's a, he's a line of scrimmage player who <laughs> has been committed to Miami for a while now. Um, he's had longest some, standing commit. I think, I think that is right. Yeah. So he's 
he's had some great issues, which has caused Miami. That's the reason why he did not sign in December during the early signing period. Uh, because if you sign a guy and he doesn't end up qualifying, you lose that counter, right? For You right. lose that spot, right. NCAA rules. So that's why they pumped the brakes and wanted to assess the grade situation during the February signing day. So anyways, tell us where Moyes is going to high school now, what the situation is there with Miami, what, what should we, we expect on Wednesday with him? So Willie Moyes, um, mo- most Miami fans will know him as, as the defensive lineman from Hollywood, Shamanan, Madonna Prep, which has kind of turned into a, a feeder school for Miami here in, in recent years. Um, he committed to Miami, I think it was the spring before his junior season, kind of came out of left field at the time, but he grew into a, a, a solid prospect. I mean, I, I think... Went yeah. both ways. You mentioned a line of scrimmage player. You know, he plays defensive tackle. He plays offensive tackle. He had a real solid junior season. Senior season gets underway, plays four games, and then uh, is sidelined for the rest of the year with a, with a torn labrum in his in his shoulder. Um, Miami never brought him in for an official visit. I think they were kind of waiting to see what would happen with the grades. Um, he didn't sign during the early signing period, and to be honest, heading into Wednesday, I, I don't think Miami's going to sign him, um, just because from what I've kind of heard from the jump with this whole thing is that his grades are in a worse situation than Cam Williams' grades, uh, the defensive end who signed with Miami last year, and Avery Huff's grades, the, the linebacker from from last year, and both those kids took an academic red shirt, so right. we, we all know how tight numbers are right now. Uh, with that 25-man hard cap. And I just think Miami doesn't really want to run the risk on trying to sign someone and then and then possibly losing that spot. The other thing I keep hearing in all this is if Moist were to come to Miami, he might actually start his career off on the offensive line. Um, the staff thinks maybe he might have some more upside there and, and, and they need a little bit more help. And I... I kind of agree with it. I think I looked it up, and yeah. and Moise had like thirty pancake blocks as a sophomore. I mean, he's he's pretty athletic at, at offensive line. If you haven't seen his tape, I, I'd recommend you you doing that. It's pretty easy to find on on his huddle. And uh, I I think the one thing I forgot to address here is he was at Hollywood Shamanan Madonna Prep. Now he has since transferred up to Orlando Edgewater, where he's going to school. I think he's got some family up there. And he's uh, hoping to improve his grades some 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 more. So, kind of an odd situation. Miami hasn't really been in in many grade situation situations like this in in recent cycles. But I I don't anticipate him to sign. Miami thinks uh, an extra spot's all that more valuable. Tell me this: if um, let's say they don't sign him on Wednesday, is there maybe a scenario where they wait and see? how things look in May, June, and if his yes. grades look better, they add him then? Or Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. I think that's that's good. And it's not just grades. I did hear Monday night that it's also a test score. So it's, okay. that's kind of like the double whammy. Okay. And so, I, in my opinion, I think this wait-and-see approach is the way to go because, you know, you touched on it. Numbers are tight. Maybe one or two spots left. And that includes 
bringing in transfer portal guys, grad transfers. Right. And I think it would be smart, you know, not getting Moyes. Yes, that's that's not ideal. But I think you would make the trade-off of, okay, we're not able to add Moyes or we don't feel comfortable adding Moyes because of his situation. Uh, we can use that spot for a graduate transfer offensive lineman that we feel like can start uh, in 2020. So... In my opinion, I think you you make that trade off. Do you agree? Yeah, and they could bring Moise in and sign Avante, and the, and they're at twenty five. But uh, issue there is wait, am I doing this right? Signed eighteen. I think Keyshawn Smith. Right. Keyshawn Smith nineteen. Um, Dunson. Isaiah Dunson's twenty, and then three draft draft transfers twenty three. Yeah, I. The thing is, I mean, they could sign Moise and they could sign uh, Avante Williams, and they could be at twenty-five, but they still think they probably need to add a graduate transfer lineman. So now you're adding someone in the summer semester and counting them forward, which means that your twenty-five spots you have for the class of twenty twenty-one are now down to twenty-four. And we've we've touched on this in the past. I mean, if Miami wins big. They're going to win as many of those spots as they can just for that, that class of 2021 just because of how loaded it is in the state. Right. Uh, so that's 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 the thing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, so it's I, a lot I, of fluidity. I mean, but yes, ideally you want as many 21, 2021 spots as possible. And so probably taking a guy like Moyes doesn't allow that to happen. Fair to say. Right. Yes. Okay. So, anything else on Moyes or move on? I think we're good, man. Okay. So now let's let's just have some fun, maybe rapid fire, uh, you know, signing day superlatives. Um, I mean, I thought we should do these because there's nothing really else to talk about unless right we get we get some eleventh hour surprise. I mean, just trying to keep the theme with with signing day a little bit. Yeah. So let's you know, and this will include guys who signed during the early signing period, just some quick hitter opinion type stuff on the guys in Miami's class. So let's start with, uh, Andrew, in your opinion, what was the best Miami, what was the best recruiting win for Miami in this 2020 cycle? Oof. I wasn't ready for me to go first. (laughs) Um, I'll go first if you want. Yeah, go, go first. So I'm going to go with Jalen Rivers, um, who's the four-star offensive lineman, just mainly because I think that is a big position of need for Miami. I think it's a hard position to recruit for Miami. So in my mind, the positional value boosts Jalen Rivers um, to that level. Um, You know, do I think necessarily it was the toughest recruiting battle Miami won? No. But as I said, I think position value, Jalen Rivers, to me, can be a starting right tackle. I think he can definitely be a starting guard. Um, I think he has NFL ability down the road if he can, continues to work and progress. And so for that spot, for the um, best win for Miami in the 2020 class, I will go Jalen Rivers. I think, too, honestly, Jalen Rivers, there was a domino effect. You got Jalen Rivers 
Rangers, that also meant eventually you got uh, Chance Williams, a four-star dynamic pass rusher for the Hurricanes. So it was kind of a two-for-one deal, but it, it started with, with landing Jalen. I, I I agree with all that. Uh, just to kind of go in the other direction, for me, um, Jalen Knighton, and I know there really wasn't that much drama that was was written about or put out there, but I think Miami um, recruited him from the start, and, and I know the staff just felt like they kept, if they could keep chipping away, and uh, if you remember, he was committed to Florida State in the summer, and then he eventually decommitted, and Miami was right there, and, and they were able to lock him up, and then when Mike Norvell's staff kind of came on board late and tried to make a push, Miami was able to fend them off, so I, I think a lot of timing kind of worked out, but it was impressive, and Miami's also not had much success at all at Deerfield, Pe- at Deerfield Beach excuse me, in recent years, so I think the staff deserves some some credit there, and it sounds like there's a good chance Jalen Knighton might actually see the field as a freshman, just given how the depth charts uh, shake, shaking out. You know, Cam Harris is back, but so is Robert Burns. But Don Chaney, the, the other running back they signed, is going to miss spring with a shoulder injury, and Lorenzo Lingard's never there. So I think there was a time when Miami thought they might just sign one running back, and they ended up with two. And uh, Eric Hickson deserves some credit for building that relationship. Definitely, I think. You know, Don Chaney, big-time running back that committed early in the process. But as soon as Miami landed Knighton, I think you could make the argument that no other team in the country landed as good of a haul at running back in terms of a one-two punch as Miami. Uh, If not, if Miami isn't the best, they're certainly in the discussion. And so, yes, landing, you know, and, and being able to convince them, too, to be honest, to come come together i think is impressive um, yeah all right so next next category do you want me to go first or you go first uh i'll read it and then you can go first right. um okay so blank should have been ranked higher so this is probably the one recruit that you don't maybe agree with it could be 24 7 sports or it could be um the industry composite just who do you think maybe should have had an extra star next to their name. So I will go with uh, Elijah Roberts, who is the local defensive lineman from Miami Columbus High School. On the composite ranking, he is barely a four-star. He's uh, so 89.25, which is a, a four-star ranking. Um, on the 24-7 sports ranking, he's a straight-up 89 three-star. So... The industry thinks he's kind of a borderline uh, three-star, four-star type of guy. In my opinion, I think he's just a straight-up four-star. I think he's a guy who should be a borderline top 247 guy, to be honest with you. I, he's he's probably going to end up growing into being a defensive tackle by the time his, his college career is over. Um, which I think is good because he's going to be an athletic guy on the inside. I like his mindset, his makeup. He seems to be a very mature guy that is willing to put in the work that it takes to be good. So, and you know, I think his athleticism, like does he test well on 40 yard dashes and all that kind of stuff? No, 
but again, I think he's a defensive tackle. So does that really matter? And, you know, he plays high school basketball, which I think, you know, you might roll your eyes at, but I think it does matter a little bit for defensive linemen. I think it shows a level of athleticism. And, and so, yeah, in my mind, uh, Elijah Roberts is, uh, I don't know if the word it should be slightly underrated, but I think he's underrated, to be honest, by the industry. I No, I agree with all that. I mean, there's been so much written in recently about um, specializing in one sport. So I, I do like the fact that Elijah does basketball, and I think he also does shot put. I think yeah. his mom was telling me he's going to transition right into that. So no, good take, I think, um, from a pass rushing standpoint. He's, he's pretty impressive. Uh, the guy I think who maybe isn't talked about enough is Brian Balaam, the three-star safety out of uh, Miramar. I, for some reason, just think he is like a perfect fit for Miami's defensive system. Uh, I love his frame. I had a chance to watch him play against St. Thomas Aquinas. He had an interception in that game, a, a bunch of tackles. I love his testing numbers. Um, I think right now he's like a mid, a mid three star on the industry generated composite. To me, I think he's like a borderline, um, high three star, like an 89 or maybe even a 90. I I don't know. I just think from a position fit and a scheme fit, he's, he's a good take from, I mean, maybe some of that grows into that striker role or or whatnot, but I, I, I think he's not talked about enough in this class. I think, too, I, I didn't name him just because, honestly, I haven't really seen him. But I am also intrigued just by the, the film or the huddle tape of Tyreek Austin Cave, the, the linebacker that Miami added. I think he's he seems like a big-time athlete, makes a lot of plays. Um, so I would, I would include him. Like, to me, his film looks like, four, you know, four-star caliber. He, he rated as a three-star, so... But again, I haven't seen him, so it, it's kind of based on a highlight when you can make the argument a lot of guys look good on highlights. But I am very intrigued on Tyreek Austin Cave. Yeah. Um, all right, final category. What do we got? Uh, this is an outside-the-box question I kind of came up with. Hurricane should have pushed harder for blank. So this, this player could be someone, maybe the staff, liked uh, early in the in the evaluation process and and then kind of backed off or it could be a kid who maybe committed elsewhere and and they and they just kind of stopped recruiting him i mean so i'll kind of let you go let you go okay. first here so mine i mean honestly mine's more of a position um but look man i think 2020 was fairly good locally with offensive linemen um and so i would just name any of these local offensive linemen, like Marlon Martinez, Gerald Mency, Jonathan Dennis. I think you could even say Marcus Dumerville. Why didn't they push harder for him? Four-star guy out of St. Thomas Aquinas. So I would you know, pick any of those guys' names out of a hat. I think they're good enough to be at Miami, be in the program, develop for, for future years. I don't understand why... You know, you have programs like LSU, Oregon, uh, Florida, you know, putting a heavy emphasis on these local offensive linemen and Miami's just kind of like whatever. So absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, I think you hit it on the head with the with the Jonathan Dennis. If 
if if Mario Cristobal wants him as an offensive lineman, then I think I'd want him as well. Right. I mean, you know, and we've touched on this in other podcasts, but to me, the issue with Stacy Searles and Butch Berry, I just think they were way, 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 way too picky um, with with the offensive linemen they want. And look, I'm not telling you to to take slaps. I'm not telling you to take guys that can't play at Miami. Um, but there's really no such, I mean, how many perfect offensive linemen are there at the high school level? Um, you got to develop guys at that position, in my opinion. And so it was frustrating to watch this past cycle. Miami kind of turn its back on, you know, again, are they perfect? No, but they are good enough to play at Miami right now. Um, you know, be in the program and play down the road at Miami. So that, that was frustrating for me to see the way Butch Berry did not really try that hard to get these local offensive linemen. All right. For me, um, and I don't know if you've seen this guy before, is Kentron Poitier or Poitier. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Miami yeah. Palmetto, the wide receiver. He ended up signing with Florida State and Ron Dugans. I don't know. I just had a chance He's to see good. him in the spring. Had a chance to see him in the season go up against Justin Hodges, and he, to me, the, is a basketball kid with with the best football ahead of him. And I, for some reason, Miami never really pushed all that hard for him. And this is a kid who I spotted at one or two, maybe it was actually two or three games at Hard Rock Stadium this past season, and he never really said Miami was was after that him that hard. So um, I just. I, it was a head scratcher to me, and I know Miami likes the four wide receivers it got, but I could see him turning into something and, and everyone kind of wondering how he's one that got away at some point down the line. So describe what he's a big physical guy, right? Yeah, he's like a 6'3", 200-pound kid. I mean, I think he's like a plays the three or the four on the basketball court, really raw, doesn't know what he's doing, but, I mean, he can go up and win some jump balls. And I just think... Um, Miami's kind of lacking a big body in its receivers room right now. And right. he's, he's someone that could have been that guy, uh, for me. I mean, he's much bigger than Michael Redding or anything like that. Right. So, and, and if you get him it, maybe it helps you with the Palmetto boys in the, right. in the class of 2021. So that one was a, not a head scratcher. I mean, sometimes I, I don't know all the behind the scenes details, but if I was Miami, maybe I pushed a little bit harder than I think Taylor Stubblefield did. Yeah, and I think what you alluded to makes sense, too, with just the recruiting pipeline. Uh, Palmetto is a huge school for this 2021 class. You know, if if Portier comes, does that swing swing guys to Miami? No, but every little bit helps, man. And so I think showing showing love to the local guys, I think it does help you know, with recruiting classes moving forward. That's a good one, though. I didn't even think of him. I know. All right. Anything else you, you want to get into? I guess I should say, I mean, I don't know if we mentioned ex- an exact time earlier in the podcast for Advante Williams' decision. It was 2.45 p.m. Now it is 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on, on Ooh, Wednesday. What does it mean? What does it mean, Andrew? <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess maybe you're a Miami fan. You're hoping for 3.05 p.m. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting. Again, I mean, this thing is going to be 
going back and forth probably for the next 12 hours or so. Um, I think one thing I want to touch on, uh, 24-7, they didn't really give us a heads up that this was coming, but I guess they unlocked another annual VIP deal. So 60% off a annual VIP subscription to Inside the U, you know, which comes out to $42.96. So if you want full year recruiting coverage on this 2021 class um, from signing day to signing day, take advantage of this deal. I think it's only going to be up through Wednesday night at midnight. I think they're going to turn it off. So this is another good deal. Um, 60% off 42 bucks for a full year of, of recruiting coverage. So, you know, take advantage of it if, if you haven't subscribed to the website already. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that'll do it. Stay locked to the site. Like David said, and, and I'm sure we'll probably do one more podcast, uh, post signing day, depending on how that goes. Um, and we'll kind of go from there. Take care guys.